You're listening to The Upland Rookie, a podcast presented by Upland Brits. Hey, what's going on, rookies, and welcome to episode 38 of the Upland Rookie Podcast. I'm your host, Will Larson, and as always, this is presented by Upland Brits. Also brought to you by our newest sponsor, Anook Shook Professional Dog Food. Anook Shook's dense formulations ensure that your pup in training and your seasoned bird dog get what they need to succeed in the field. Anook Shook works hard so your dogs can work harder. Check them out at anookshookpro.com. Also brought to you by Pointer Traditions, making the finest dog collars, bird straps, leashes, you name it, on the market today. Both my dogs are rocking custom sized Pointer Traditions collars. And I cannot say enough about these collars. You gotta check them out for yourself. Use my promo code ROOKIE15 to save 15% off your order today at PointerTraditions.com. And if you're looking to pick up a French Brittany, look no further than Trinity Bretons, uh, offering puppies, Trinity Upland Academy with George Hickox, started dogs, stud services, uh, Josh Ryder and his dad are putting out some quality bird dogs. Uh, so check them out at trinitybretons.com. And lastly, Gunner Kennels. I've personally used and tested every major kennel brand on the market after months of hands-on experience, Gunner is the only kennel I'll use for my favorite bird dogs. Man's best friend deserves man's best kennel. All right, what's going on, everyone? Hey, I hope you're doing well. Um, thanks so much for joining me on episode 37 here. Um, hey, before we jump too much further in, uh, if you wouldn't mind taking a pause right now, head over to Apple iTunes or Apple uh, Podcasts, not iTunes. Does anyone use iTunes anymore? Um, head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you're listening on one of those platforms and leave a rating and review. Would greatly appreciate it. Uh, you've heard me say it before, but it's going to help the show uh, reach more listeners. So appreciate that. Um, guys, today's episode has been a few weeks and honestly, maybe a few months in the making. Um, I sit down with my mentor, Jeff Hoskins, uh, here in Colorado. And uh, I've been wanting to sit down with Jeff for quite a while. Uh, but honestly, I, just, I didn't know exactly like what how, how to construct an interview with him. Uh, so much of my time with Jeff has been spent out training dogs. And I was just I took my time of really kind of crafting uh, hey, what would what would I want to ask ask Jeff uh, when I sit down with him, and how do I want to construct this interview? And so, finally, uh, put some things down on paper, got some time to sit down with Jeff, and uh, man, he just he unloads a wealth of knowledge um, just through his personal journey, experiences over, gosh, thirty five or forty years uh, working with with bird dogs and Britneys and, and even some pointers, which I didn't know, <laughs> I didn't know, but. Uh, 
so yeah, it, we cover a whole lot in these episodes. We actually had to uh, break these into two episodes. So you guys are going to get a bonus episode later in the week. Um, we broke this into two two episodes. This one's pretty long itself. Uh, actually, both of them are, um, but broke them into two episodes. So you can uh, can kind of digest them maybe a little bit easier as you uh, as you hear and, and uh, hear some of Jeff's uh, knowledge and and. Uh, yeah, his story really into the bird dog world and what he's seen from the field trial side as, as both a judge and, and running dogs and hear about some of the field champions that he's produced and some of the breeding and a lot of puppy development too. I love our segment on just what he's he's looking for in a puppy. You know, picking a pup from a litter is something um, I get asked a lot on, on this podcast and people write in on Instagram and just ask, hey, what do, you, what do you look for in your pups when you're picking them out? Um, you're going to want to key into this episode and, and listen to some of what Jeff has to share um again developing young bird dogs you know bird intro is so important and so key uh, in the development of a, of a young puppy and again you might want to get uh, a pen and paper out for some of these things um i really just shut my mouth through this episode and let jeff uh just share his advice and knowledge and wisdom that he has so um sit back relax um i know i'm going to be listening back to these uh for many many years to come probably uh be able to remind myself of some of these uh some of these um yeah so some of this wisdom i think it's good reminders for all of us uh, whether you're new to uh, upland hunting and bird dogs or, or whether you've been doing it for years maybe uh, i think we can all learn something from these next couple episodes with jeff and so anyways uh we're gonna jump in uh and go from there thanks so much for tuning in guys one more thing before we jump into the episode, I almost forgot. Um, so since we recorded this episode, I have participated now in my first AKC horseback trial uh, a few weeks back, and uh, man, it was a blast. Um, I ended up running win in the puppy stake, um, and yeah, overall, great experience, met some great people, um, uh, rode some other braces of some of the older dogs, and was able to see uh, just that caliber dog that I was able to ride behind. And um, so yeah, overall, great experience. I'll, I'll do another episode episode, maybe diving in a little bit more. Um, I've gotten some requests on doing um, kind of a breakdown of the three different uh, trial events that I've done or test events. Uh, I've now done the AKC hunt test, AKC trial, uh, horseback trial, and uh, Nastra. And so, yeah, I might do an episode uh, unpacking those a little bit more and, and sharing, sharing some of my experiences between all three of them and, uh, and go a little bit deeper on that. So more to come on that, but um, yeah, Ran that a few weeks ago with Wynn. It was a blast. And I know you'll hear a lot more uh, coming up in these next episodes with Jeff. So enjoy. Um, how's the foot doing, by the way? Didn't you, didn't you break, well, break a so, toe? Yeah, or? I screwed up my other one. And uh, um, and so um, I've, I've been basically rehabbing it like I did the other one. And, uh-huh. and it's getting good. Is it? Okay. Yeah, it's not. Did you still go out hunting, hunting after? I did, but I, you know, I hunted by myself so I could go up my own pace. Yeah. And and uh, and I was pushing the envelope. Okay. Um, pretty hard, but um, but I, I'm okay. Okay. I know, I know I'm fine. Okay. I know, I know I didn't do what I shouldn't have done because I. Um, I mean, it feels fine. Now. Good, good. But that week, that week at the Home and Garden Show. I intentionally sat still, and that 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 helped. A okay, bunch. good. Do you, do you mind sharing, reminding me how you did this? <laughs> the most recent injury? Um, yeah, um, I was at the far end of this property. I was probably over a mile from the truck, mm-hmm. 
Um, Eve goes on point. I walk in front uh, of her. She's pointing into a bush. A coyote runs out. Um, I shot and dumped him and and flipped him, and he gets up and starts running, and I shot again and missed him, and Eve started chasing him, and I hollered, I was hollering at her to stop and reloading at the same time and stepped in a two-foot hole and went straight down, and I jammed my foot clear back, and I thought I broke it. And Adam and I were talking about that, you know, because he, he said, you know, it's always a circus when you go. And I, I haven't had anybody say that to me. Now I'm starting to wonder, you know, is this just Jeff or has this happened to everybody? You know, but but I mean, I, I'd step in that hole every time, you know, because I mean, I'm, I'm watching, the, trying to stop the dog. I'm trying to reload a gun and and it's a lot happening at one time. And that freaking hole was huge. <laughs> You know, and of course, I mean, I'm over a mile from the truck. I thought I broke my foot, oh, and and you know, I, I talked myself into walking out of there. Um, you know, I had I had cell coverage. I probably, but but I just kept walking and that's good. And um, you know, <laughs> so I get up the next morning, and I didn't tell Liz that night what I'd done because oh, I I wanted to. You know, get an assessment. You know, if I felt okay, I was gonna, you know, continue to hunt. And I stayed overnight out in Colby. And I get up the next morning and put weight on it and almost fell over. You know. <laughs> well, I'm sure you have a, a hundred more stories similar to that. Don't well, you? <laughs> yeah, Adam's got one of the better ones with the deer. <laughs> oh, we're gonna. Don't worry, we're gonna get to that one at the yeah. end. So we're, we're gonna I mean, get. We'll just. We'll come around. So I know a lot of Brittany, uh, anyone who's buying a Brittany out there, they're probably going to see Snixo on a pedigree. Uh, can you talk a little bit about, first off, what does that mean and how did you come up with that? Um, well, it was simple. You know, when I first started out with, with dogs, I started reading books. And one of the first books that I read that I would uh, highly recommend is Wing and Shot by Robert mm -hmm. Whaley. Um, and... Uh, and his last name spelled backwards is Elhu, and mm. he—that uh, was his kennel name was Elhu, um, and it was with English pointers, and it's a very well-known uh, pointer bloodline. And a lot of what I patterned myself off, off of in the beginning was was a lot of the things I read in his book. Um, it's a very very thorough book, you know, starting with the introduction with a puppy and picking a puppy and bloodlines and, uh, you know, all the way through to through the training process into um, field trials and winning field trials and 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 then also raising litters of puppies. So, nice. you know, that's that's how I got started on that. You want to call it a tangent? It probably is an accurate term, <laughs> and uh, and I've stuck with it, and uh, um, it's created a lot of problems for people that have to announce placements, and as far as the pronunciation of that word. I can imagine. I can imagine. <laughs> I think even I pronounced it uh, incorrectly for for a couple of years, maybe, but yeah. I think I finally got it right. Well, that's it's definitely a name you'll will stick with you when you see it on a pedigree. So. Well, that's great. Uh, let's back up a little bit and first off, put us on the map where are you located and tell us a little bit about uh, who Jeff Hoskins is. Okay. Um, 
my wife and I, Liz, live in Parker, Colorado. Um, we live out in the country on five acres, and uh, you know, uh, behind every field trailer is a very understanding uh, uh, wife <laughs> if they're not involved themselves. And and um, you know, Liz is. Uh, uh, we've been married for uh, um, over 30 years. I got to do the math. 86 uh, uh, puts us into about uh, um, 36 years, and wow. and uh, she uh, she likes the dogs a lot, and uh, you know is a very important part of what I do with the dogs. I couldn't do it without her. Mm. Um, you know we. Uh, uh, we don't have a lot of dogs, and we don't raise a lot of litters. Uh, we lit, raise maybe one, maybe two litters a year. Um, last year, we didn't even raise a litter of pups, and it seemed like kind of an empty summer because of it. Um, I, uh, um, you know, I'm an entrepreneur and own my own business, and and um, you know, I've managed uh, my whole time with the dogs to. Um, balance between job and, and field trials and, and hunting and and I've always done all the training myself and and uh, you know that's that balancing act um, you know is a, a big part of of you know what I have done for a hobby and enjoy and and uh, um, you know on a lot of different fronts. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I, I don't think I've ever asked you this. Is Liz pretty involved when you when you are raising a litter of puppies? Is she pretty involved in you know the puppy process and all that, or is that mainly you still? It's 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 me. Um, you know, she always tells me when I talk about raising a litter. Well, I don't want to whelp them because she got stuck a couple of times <laughs> having to uh, deliver puppies, and and uh, you know it's uh, you know. It's kind of a nerve-wracking process, especially, and especially if it's the first time a, uh, the female dog is, has uh, had puppies. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know the times that she got stuck doing it, uh, that was the case, you know. <laughs> and and uh, but you know she uh, uh, she's learned she gets attached to a dog real quick, and uh, and she's learned to uh, um, you know wait until the dog appears to be a keeper before she gets attached so she <laughs> she distances herself uh or has taught herself to distance herself from uh um from getting involved with the the individual dogs um okay. until we come up with the idea that it's a keeper okay so. okay that's, that's a smart move a smart move <laughs> yeah well, that's great. Um, well, I think a good spot to start is probably, uh, you know, share a little bit about your journey starting and getting into upland hunting and then bird dogs and, and all that. Like, did you grow up hunting? Was that part of your family? Or just share a little bit more about that as you uh, think back to how you got started. Um, I, was, I was probably 12 or 13 years old. Um, my dad uh, hunted as a young, young man, but really didn't when we got older. Um, we lived at the time in eastern Nebraska, Fremont, Nebraska, and uh, um, I had a, I think what really got me started was the, I like dogs. And uh, uh, we had a house dog, I taught her all kinds of tricks. 
Um, I think it's in my DNA. Uh, my, my, um, my, all my cousins show livestock, um, cattle, and and uh, and sheep. Um, my uh, my grandfather farmed with horses when he first started out. My grandma drove horses mm-hmm. in the in the field during harvest season. Wow. And, and I think I think it just goes back to a love of animals. Um, my neighbor uh, in Fremont had a, a German short hair pointer that I thought was a really cool dog. His name was Tex. And uh, and that uh, fellow's name was Don Bodenall. And he actually took me duck hunting the first time I ever went hunting. And uh, um, But he told me that his next dog was going to be a Brittany. Hmm. And uh, and another neighbor had a Brittany named Brit, of course, probably <laughs> the most common uh, Brittany name out there. And and uh, I mowed their lawn when I was a little kid, and and uh, and I got to play with Brit, and Brit loved to retrieve, and and he was a really neat dog personality-wise, and uh, but you know what Don had told me about uh, dogs made me lean towards Brittany's, mm. and then. And then, uh, and then Britt kind of pushed me over the edge. Um, and uh, the very first time I shot at a pheasant um, was on my uncle's farm in Iowa, and, uh, and I got it. And so the shooting part of it has never really been that much of a challenge for me, or, or um, not that I'm a great shot, but, but you know, I mean... After after shooting that pheasant, I thought to myself, "Well, this is fun. I, you know, I want to do more of this." But man, it'd be cool to have a dog, mm. and uh, um, and you know, and we uh, shortly thereafter moved to uh, Iowa, and uh, uh, I fished quite a bit when I was a little kid. When we lived in Nebraska, when we moved to Iowa, there wasn't the uh, uh, the water nearby, mm. and. Uh, um, there was a litter of puppies uh, in the newspaper, and uh, my dad and I went and got one. <laughs> so that's uh, and it was a, Brit- a litter of Britneys. Okay. And uh, that's that's how I uh, um, started out with Britneys. And okay. in fact, that particular dog, um, I wound up um, getting a second one, and uh, and that was my first really good dog. Tiff was her name, Snixo Miss Tiffany. That's uh, in between those two dogs. I read the book Wing and Shot. Okay. And how old were you in between around this time? Uh, I was fourteen. You're fourteen. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I was fourteen when I got, and I was probably about. And you were reading Wing and Shot. And... I was probably fifteen when I got Tiff. Okay. And uh, and um, and I got her from a, a breeder. And it's it's a great dog story because uh, you know um, I think Tiff was six months old and and pointed a pheasant for me and and we were going down a fence row and she pointed a half dozen of pheasants <laughs> for me and and uh, shot the first rooster over and and um, and you know it uh, um, Tiff uh, um, you know I thought I had something special. Um, and, uh, and that's, that's what got me started, you know, thinking, wow, she's something special. Maybe I ought to go to a field trial. (laughs) 
you were already thinking that at that at that age and kind of yeah, thinking through. Yeah, I read the book Wing and Shot. So that got you. you know, that kind of got you excited. I probably read that three times. Wow. You know, when I was a little kid, and and uh, um, and I, uh, you know, I, I mean, it's a great dog story because you know, Tiff was came to me at an age. You know, it's a transitionary time for. Sure. For uh, a teenager, you know, and she went off to college with me. And, oh wow! <laughs> and um, you know, and and for, at first in the co- at college, I had to stay in a dorm, and I tried to figure out how to get out of that so that uh, you know Tiff could come to school with me. And, oh my and, gosh! And uh, and I was going to field trials at that time, and and uh, and wanted to you know didn't want to do all the running around to go back home and and get her and and. Uh, you know, and you know, Britneys are great chick magnets too. So <laughs> you know, it really worked well you, from that. You heard it here first, yeah. folks. You heard it here first. Yeah. So. Oh, that's fun. What did uh, what did I mean? So you were doing all the training yourself with Tiff, right? You were. Uh, you were yeah. I mean, I had working your way through it. As far as as far as uh, help, you know, I lived in a, a rural area of Iowa. Um, there was one other fellow in town that had been to a field trial. Um, his name was Butch Meyer, and he had German short hairs, and and uh, you know, and when I called him up, and, and my dad knew him, and we knew him through, you know, cattle and that kind of thing, and I said I had a dog, and he, he said, well, at the field trials they really have to run, and I said, yeah, I know, that's what I've read, and, <laughs> and I and I said I think she does, and 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 I had a hard time getting Butch to believe that that she really. Uh, was as aggressive and pattern as as what uh, what it takes to you know be successful at field trials and and finally I got Butch to have a look at her and and uh, and he said you're right she does run really well <laughs> and and uh, and the funny thing was uh, Butch was a very quiet individual and and uh, you know and and said you know yeah i think you got a good one there and and then later in the afternoon when i went home he called me and says jeff you need to take that dog to a field trial (laughs) and uh you know and and that's as close as i had to someone who took me underneath their wing um most of the most of my friends at that time had hounds and uh um hide prices were up and and uh Raccoons were mm. a, a lot of fun to go out and chase at night, mm. and and, uh, and you know this was before the days of tracking collars, so so that always made for all kinds of excitement, <laughs> getting everybody gathered up, and yeah. you know when they'd go across rivers and things like that. Uh, but uh, I was the only I was I had another friend that had a lab, and other than that, you know everybody had hounds. Um, that had dogs and in, in in my uh, of my friends and and uh, um, I uh, I you know I've had lots of friends along the the line you know and that's probably where I've learned the most um, and uh, you know picking you know friends brains on mm. on how they're training and sure. you know Bob Burchett is a Longtime friend of mine that I met when I was probably about eighteen, hmm. and uh, oh, you, you've known him that long? Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, um, over forty years. Oh wow. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a long time. <laughs> that's that's a long time. And uh, you know, and you know, an individual like that. He's Bob's now, you know, a professional dog trainer and has been for a long time and very successful at what he does. And and um, I've had a probably a in my mind a unusual number of friends that um when we first met were amateur um you know trainers like i was and and i am and and you know they hunted and then uh um and had dogs and eventually turned professional and i had had an unusually i think an mm. unusual number of friends turn pro mm. while i've known them um oh. You know, Bob was was probably the first one. Jim Hoyer, Mark Garkey, um, you know, Steve Chang, Steve Bailey. Okay. Um, when I first met those guys, they were all um, just just getting into it still, and, then, and, and okay. then eventually turned pro. Wow. And uh, you know, so so I've and there's more. I, oh, I'll sure. think of them here, but <laughs> uh, um, but the. A large number of them yeah. and and you know not having um, again living in a rural area and not having access to a lot of bird dog people mm. um, you know I relied on books and and I learned a lot when I went to the field trials that mm. was my opportunity to 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 learn about dog training and yeah and, um, and you know I tried to take advantage of that yeah a lot of it sounds like you figured it out on your own and studied up and read and asked questions. Well, the and, books, yeah, the books and and the training seminars. Uh, oh, yeah, you talked about those. Yeah, yeah. You, you know the, uh, um, I got a lot out of the Rick Smith and and Ronnie Smith, um, you know, dog training seminars. That's right. that, um, basically carried carried on after Delmer, um, got them started. Um, uh, John uh, Han, I, I've gone to his seminar. Dobbs did an electro, uh, electric uh, collar training mm. seminar I went to. Okay. Um, I remember Bill Hancock, when I was a little kid, putting on a seminar mm. that I went to. Oh, wow. um, that, there's another fellow that was a pro, and he went back to being an amateur that's a friend of mine. <laughs> okay. Too. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> you know, we'll, I'll cool. think of more of those yeah. as we go through that's, the conversation. That's cool. I'm sure. So when you think back, you know, getting into this, uh, the bird dogs, you're getting in the, you got your first Brittany Tiff. Uh, first off, just what is it about the Brittany? Because you, you could have, you, you could have got one Brit and then changed breeds, but you've stuck with Brittany's for a long time. What is it about them? Um, for the, for the breed, you know, um, um, a Brittany fit, fit a lot better in an apartment when you were going to college. Um, <laughs> Practicality. But, but you know, but that is, in, in a nutshell, yeah. what, where the Brittany breed excels is uh, being a, a pet as mm. well as a hunting dog. Mm. And, you know, their size. Um, and, and you know, you can you can hunt the same dog that you campaign at the field trial, too. And, mm. and uh, um they're, uh, you know, they have a lot of desire to please a lot of them, and uh, you can play off of that as a trainer. Um, you know, and they've, they've always been, the continental breeds have always been uh, more popular with the, what you want to call the meat hunters. Mm. And, 
Um, and again, you know, it, it came down to a, a guy that had a good German short hair told me his next dog was going to be a Brittany. And <laughs> I have had English pointers. Um, and uh, you, You've had English pointers? I've had two. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and one was a pretty good one. Wow. He, he, uh, um, he um, got bit by a rattlesnake and oh, died. Oh, no way. Oh. Yeah, yeah, that's another story in itself. Oh. But... Uh, um, but uh, the thing about the English pointers is, you know, you'll probably hear me in a couple times in this um, discussion relate dogs and field trial dogs back to back to uh, car racing in a lot of ways, hmm. and the English pointers um, are the best in my mind. Hmm. This is probably controversial, <laughs> but uh, the best best athletes. Hmm. Um, they um, bigger, stronger, faster, um, more stylish. A lot of nose, a um, lot of a lot of point, a lot of style on point, um, and that's allowed me to see that other side. And and early on um, with the Britneys. Um, a fellow by the name of Bob Merkel, who was a German short hair pro, um, and I met him at probably the second field trial that I ever went to um, through Butch Meyer. He told me that what Britneys need is more style hmm. and more nose. Hmm. And I think he also meant um, that they needed more pointing instinct when he hmm. said style. Hmm. And that's been one of the things that I've really focused on, and and I learned from the English pointers, is is the the English pointers want to point, they want to stand there, mm-hmm. and and uh, and they've had that bred into them for more years than any other breed, mm-hmm. and uh, and and that makes the training process so much easier. Mm-hmm. Um, when uh, when you have those traits in a dog and uh, and I've tried to bring that through in the in the dogs that I've kept in the Brittany breed hmm. that's great thanks for sharing that I, I did not know you owned anything yeah. besides the Brittany wow yeah I learned yeah. something today yeah and and Jed was the pointer that we had okay and uh, yeah it was a sad situation I mean that from the time I knew we had a problem until he was dead after getting bit by that rattlesnake. It was less than seven minutes. Oh wow! And uh, that's wow, um, that's fast. And uh, and we were just out running, and I never even saw him get hit by the snake. But I, you know, I saw the uh, fang marks. Fang marks on him. Jeez. So that's tough. Um, So so I think I uh, I think you touched on already, kind of. You know what led you into getting into the field trial realm? It sounds like you were pretty young, and you were like, "All right, this." From what you've read and experienced, like you you were committed. You yeah. were getting into those trials. Have you have you tried any other types of trials, events, uh, hunt tests, and, and what was that like? And and why why the AKC field trials? Why is that kind of what you've stuck with versus some of the other ones out there? Um, Nastra was getting going. Um, in the uh, early 80s in northeast Iowa where I grew up and and I went to some of those trials and watched Um, I had a friend 
that had an English pointer um, that that got started doing that and was active, um, and uh, and hunt tests came in. Oh, I want to say in the mid '80s, and I judged one of those fairly early on. Um, for me, I can tell more about a dog faster um, with the AKC format, hmm. um, especially when you're pushing them off of a horse, you know, and looking for that range, but yet requiring the handle. Hmm. Um, it. Uh, you know, again, it's similar to car racing. You know, when people think about what does a you know running a dog off a horse have to do with with me trying to go hunting, you know, for pheasants in eastern Colorado, you know, it seems kind of far fetched, and I can certainly understand why it, they really wouldn't be that related. But you know, it's kind of like it's kind of like. You know, a top fuel dragster and a and a Formula One car doesn't have anything to do with your average passenger car hmm. in a lot of ways. Sure. However, a lot of the technology, a lot of the knowledge, you know, it's just basically a, a car only more so. Hmm. And it's the same thing with with field trial dogs. You know, they're they're hunting dogs only more so. Hmm. And uh, um, you know the the Nastra trials. Um, you know the judging format. A lot of people really like that. It's a straight point system, mm -hmm. and uh, um, and and there's a lot of advantages to that because the equipment costs are so much less. Mm -hmm. um, the hunt tests, in my mind, still to this day, are a great stepping stone. You mm -hmm. know, introduction um, for people. You know. Um, wanting to get more enjoyment out of their dog. Hmm. Um, you know, Nastra and hunt tests, field trials, they're all ways of extending your hunting season. Hmm. And and that's really the way I've always looked at field trials is it's a, it's a way of extending my hunting season. You hmm. know, I don't really want to put the dog up for, for nine months, <laughs> sure. you know. And... Uh, um, it just and the more time you spend with your dog, whether it be those types of trials or or you know hunting, the more time you spend with them, the better they're going to be. Yeah. And and uh, you know the um, but the field trials and and evaluating dogs and trying to raise a better puppy um, has pushed me towards the the AKC field trials because again I can I can tell more faster hmm. um, by watching them um, when when we're asking them to run at a a, a wider range mm -hmm. uh, pick out objectives be on Is the that downwind just vi side visually you're saying because you're up up higher on a horse are you saying visually you can you no. see their maneuvers more no or? it's not so much that it's it's that um, you're asking that dog to go full tilt as as fast as he mm. can, and and but still hunt the ground. Mm. And so the dog's got to make decisions on where he's going to run, and pick out the objectives, put himself on the downwind mm. side, and and but still keep in mind where you're at and work towards the front, and connect his casts so that he's he's efficient 
in his use of basically rather than hunting you know the area that you're in hunting the the uh, the country mm-hmm. and and you can you can tell more about a dog faster that way in the way of their intelligence um, their ability to smell birds their desire to point mm-hmm. you know if they're uh, over the hill and they're standing there and a bird walks out in front of them they've got a decision to make <laughs> am i going to do what jeff wants and stand here and point or you know i might be able to catch that sucker you know and and a dog that's honest enough to stay there and you know and, and you know jeff tops the hill and there's the dog standing on point mm. you know yeah that is pretty far-fetched for the average hunter mm. you know he doesn't want his dog you know a hill or two over sure but um that same dog that's honest enough to stand there and and wait for you to get there you know and he you know and he took the draw in the low part of the you know the um the land to get there and the you know the judge saw that mm. you know that's like i said a hunting dog only more so yeah and and uh and it's you know it's like what does indy have to do with with you know driving your car to the you know church <laughs> <laughs> you know, on Sunday, you know, sure. well, um, they learned a lot about about cars from Indianapolis, and and you learn a lot about dogs, yeah. you know, from the competitions, yeah. and, and the um, you're pushing them, you you know, you've got to have them conditioned, and mm-hmm. you know, they've got to know what you want, you've yeah. got to be a a good team to yeah. be successful. That's that's so much good wisdom right there. Um, I don't know. I've heard this personally from some people. I don't know if you've heard this too, but some people will say uh, a really good field trial dog is great, but they can't be a great hunting dog too. I Do you- hunt everything. I mean, I, again, have to balance, uh, you know, the workaday world, uh, family life, um, you know, with, with, hunting and field trials and you know i don't have the time uh to have a hunting dog and a a field trial dog Mm. you know they've got to exist within the same animal they got to do both and and they've got to have the intelligence to know the difference Mm. you know whether i'm on foot or or you know whether i'm on horseback and adjust accordingly and everything i've always owned has had to do both that's great and uh um and some some do it better than others you know uh and make that transition and it's always especially with with the dogs that are two three years old that that transition when when you know we're coming off of the fall field trial season and and November rolls around and I need to go shoot something. <laughs> um, you know, that that's is you know, that where you those see it's younger harder. dogs, it's a little tougher for them to, to make that transition okay. and I you know, I have to pick my fields accordingly, you know, gotcha. where I hunt the older dogs that are experienced mm. and the and the puppies and then in those what I call the you know, kind of the teenage years, <laughs> um, you know, those dogs are gonna have the tougher time making that transition. But by the end of hunting season, you know, they you know, I've ground them down enough to you know, they, they realize that hey, we're walking and, and I've got to check in more. Yeah. And and I my you know, everybody has their own hunting style and I do like a dog that, that runs 
uh, and make some casts when when I'm out hunting, you know, because I don't want to have to walk the entire field, you know. Sure. I'll send a dog down a draw, um, you know, a short draw that's, you know, not um, the main part of the field, but, uh, you know, send them down it to, uh, so I don't have to walk down mm. it. But, but uh, um, you know, a dog that's hanging out around 100 to 200 yards um, when I'm hunting is, is what I, want most of the time and they learn how to adjust uh and handle handle pheasants um and uh you know that's um and it's always been that way with with the dogs that i've had that's great so that's great um uh, so how long have you been judging with akc events how long have you been a judge um i i started judging in about the late 80s so okay so yeah late 80s so we're talking probably 80 88 89 is when i first judged so 30 30 okay okay so this will be kind of a two-parter um one can you just for any of the uh younger folks out there or maybe they're just getting started into this uh Talk about just um, logistically. What like what's the judging scoring system or the judging process logistically? And the second piece is as you're judging, as you're riding along, watching a dog, uh, an adult dog, let's say. What are what are you looking for as you're judging that dog? So they might go; those two parts might go hand in hand. But first, maybe tackle like what is that AKC judging process? Well, there's with the adult dogs. There's Two, uh, two types of stakes, gun dogs and all-edge dogs. And the gun dogs are um, more similar. And if, if, and if a new person is going to a field trial, I encourage him to go watch a gun dog stake first. Because um, it's, you know, you, you'll be able to recognize that, that, you know, after watching a field of, of you know, a stake of, of dogs run through a gun dog stake that it is you know the type of dog that that can be hunted you know some of them will still make some some wide casts in a gun dog stake um but but uh, but it is you know not as far-fetched an all-age stake uh they want a dog to really run wide and for the average hunter to go out and watch an all-age stake for the first time at a field trial it looks pretty far-fetched and not um, as closely related to, to hunting as what your average hunter would want to see. Um, I, I uh, in a gun dog stake and in an all-edge stake, you know, I want the same thing out of the bird work. You know, I want to see a dog um, hunting the the places on the course that are most likely. To hold a wild bird, uh, I want to see them put themselves on the downwind side of an objective. An objective is like a, a draw or a tree line, uh, a fence row. Um, you know, uh, they uh, um, always need to um, know where the handler's at. Um, uh, in a gun dog stake, they're going to be in sight most of the time. Um, 
in a knowledge stake, they might be out of sight quite a bit of the time, but working their way forward. Okay. And, uh, and you know, in a gun dog stake, I don't like to hear a handler constantly yelling at the dog. Mm. You know, I mean, more quiet is better, mm. and but yet still an aggressive ground pattern. Uh, but but you know, keeping an eye on which way the handler's going and and. Um, you know, and a, a dogs are really quick to learn how to um, key off the horse's head and work their way to the front, and uh, and and that just makes it easier with the hunting pattern. In an all-age stake, um, again, the bird work is the same. You know, we're we're looking for them to to hunt the objectives. Um, it's the same. You want to see a, a stylish find. You know head and tail high. Um, I prefer to see birds pointed from a distance, you know. Um, you know, the stronger their nose, uh, the more likely that uh, they'll be able to uh, handle a wild bird in the, in the same situation. Um, and uh, and you want to see that in, in both the all-age and the gundog stakes. But the big difference between the two is in an all-age stake, um, you know, you really want to see a dog that's going to d- dig into cover and maybe gone for mm. a while, but yet find its way to the front mm. and know where the handler's at. Um, in all age stakes, they sometimes have a um, a person scouting, uh, which is he's helping the handler. Um, so if the you know dog is out of sight, he goes and checks the the area that the dog was last seen to see if he's on point over there. And um, I don't really want to see a scout, um, you know, handling the dog or or really having to help the dog uh, get to the front. I want to see them in in both stakes, um, you know, come with the handler. Um, But in an all-age stake, the dog's going to move out a lot faster, um, cover a lot more terrain, and uh, and that again, you know, I can tell more about a dog faster in that in that uh, format because um, you can really tell a dog's um, intelligence. You know, when I went to my first field trial back in it would have been 1979. Um, there, Lloyd Budd was um, um, uh, one of the pros there, uh, and uh, um, and he's an old-time Brittany guy, and um, we had uh, um, at this particular field trial we had um, what they called Wrangler horses. I didn't have a horse, and uh, um, and they were looking for a bird planner, and. Uh, um, and so I, you know, I volunteered, you know, as much as nobody wanted to ride the old quarter horses, you know, they usually ride gated horses at the field trial and, and the quarter horses were quite rough, but I thought that was great. You know, it, I was probably 17 to have a horse to ride, to be able to go watch this field trial and learn something. Yeah. And, uh, I got to watch Lloyd run a dog by the name of the real thing. And his call name was Coke, mm-hmm. 
Uh, he was directly out of Bandee, um, and uh, I got to watch Coke go out and lay down a race, an all-age race. It was a 30-dog all-age stake, and uh, and I didn't know what I was looking at, but I could tell by the way that everybody in the gallery who was watching the field trial was acting hmm. that you know this was a great performance that this dog was putting down. Um, Coke had a stop to fl flush on a pheasant and then had a find uh, about halfway through the course and wound up winning that day. Um, Coke wound up winning the National Amateur Championship that fall. Hmm. That performance that I saw, you know, at that early age is stuck in my mind hmm. and I patterned everything, you know, as far as what I look for in a dog. and. And and I still remember that particular course and and that performance and uh, um, uh, the real thing is uh, uh, one of the foundation Britneys that you'll you'll you know we'll get to talking about mm -hmm. bloodlines later but um, you know the real thing is was uh, Ramarda's trademarks dad and Ramarda's trademark was a very influential Britney hmm. oh. so That's anyways cool. but. Um, that kind that, of long-winded no, long answer for, you know. <laughs> that was perfect I mean, and Coke, more. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's cool. I don't think I've heard you talk about Coke uh, no, before. No, you haven't. You haven't. But uh, um, it was a, you know, like I said, it, it, you know, the first things that happen to you with your first dogs and your first field trials are, are really kind of etched into your mind and, and you pattern a lot of things off of those and, and, um, you know, Lloyd, uh, he also trained Coke's dad, Bandy. Okay. And Bandy is behind, you know, we're going to talk about it, yeah. but he's he's behind everything. Okay. That, that uh, the Beans Blaze line, the Ramada's okay. trademark line. Wow. And, uh, um, but uh, um, I, again, you know, I learned a lot at the field trials by watching Lloyd, by watching... You know, Bob, by yeah. watching Roscoe Staten. Um, that was one of my main ways of, of, of learning, you know, about dog training. And, mm -hmm. and that's why I'd encourage people to go to hunt tests, to mm -hmm. go to, to NASTRA. Even, even if you're not interested in participating, you can still learn about, mm -hmm. a lot about dog training sure. um, by watching these competitions. Because, again, you know, it competition forces people to you know the desire to win forces them to you know push the edge sure you know and, and uh, um and that's how you that's how you learn more about yeah. about uh, dog training love that um last question before we kind of wrap up this hunt test trial section here um because I, I think correct me if i'm wrong i think we talked about this this happened might have happened to um spencer recently as a judge, when you're, you're judging an event, talk about a dog that has, say, two finds versus a dog that has five. The dog that has two finds, they could still win, correct? Yes. Um, at the field trials, you know, and this is, this is where with, with NASTRA, NASTRA's, you know, they count the number of finds, and, you know, and it's in, a, it's in an open field. And... and uh, um, and and there's a lot to be said for that, you know, because that's what we're all about is finding birds. Sure. 
And the thing about bird finding is conditions change within a few hours. And, and you know, you can start out the day with high humidity, low wind, and, and uh, a breeze, and the sending conditions are, are perfect. Mm. And before the trial's over with, you know, the wind can come up, the humidity can drop, mm. and bird finding can, you know, just get downright tough. And to judge a dog solely on their ability to find birds, and in the morning there's more, there might be more birds on the course. And so to, to count birds um, and solely base it on that, especially at an AKC trial, um, it isn't really a fair judgment of the dog because, you know, at the end of the day, you're trying to pick out the best bird dog. And where they hunt, you know, if the dog has, you know, five finds, but they're not very far off the, the course, you know, and they're, they're you know, the dog isn't digging into cover, but just happens to find birds. Mm. Um, that that isn't as as gonna uh, gonna be as as effective uh, in the long run as the dog that digs into cover mm. and and doesn't necessarily have the maybe the most range, mm. but but digs into the cover, hunts the downside downwind side of the cover and and is continually um, hunting in the the birdie likely spots um, and and sometimes um, you know the bird planners won't necessarily have the birds in in those places like they should and the dog that has those dug up finds you know that that are deep into the cover and uh, and has to work for them um, in my mind, you know, outshines the the dog that just, you know, has the easy ones that sure. are just off the horse path or just off the course. Yeah. And and uh, you know, all the dog games, and I call them games, being field trials, hunt tests, sure. Nastra. You know, they're they're all games. At, at the end of the day, the sure. only the only real deal is going hunting all day long. <laughs> and you know that dog that's still able to go strong at the end of the day and is still punching into the cover is is what we're looking for yeah um and that's the one that's going to find you the most birds at the end of the day sure. and uh um and you know that's why the quality of the finds um you know the field trial um should um win over the you know the quantity hmm. That's great. I love that. Um, all right, let's. We're going to move into uh, puppy development, and I kind of wanted to start off uh, before we kind of get into the puppy development. Take it back to when you were picking a puppy. So when you're picking a pup from a litter, whether it's your own litter or when you're picking one up from, you know, from that early stage, just take us through like what are some of the things that you personally are looking for in that dog, knowing what you're going to do with it later. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk from a breeder standpoint. Um, when you go look at a litter of pups, and and uh, and if you're just looking, if you you know you're wanting a a family dog and a hunting dog, um, like you know, 
eighty to ninety percent of the puppies that I wind up selling, that that's the home that they go to. If if you're looking at a litter, and mom and dad are both field trial dogs, um, that's a fairly hot litter for your average everyday hunter, and you know what you should be looking for in that case is not necessarily the most aggressive puppy in the litter hmm. um you know one that's you know solid as far as being outgoing uh but yet you know likes people um not skittish about you know new things um i love taking puppies for walks hmm. and i evaluate them on these walks you know as Myself, personally, I'm looking for the more aggressive puppies in the mm-hmm. litter. Um, the ones that are, aren't afraid of anything, but yet, you know, like people, come with you, um, you know, seem to pay attention to, to uh, um, what you want them to do, but yet are bold enough to mm-hmm. go exploring on their own. Um, but that's not what I would push the or encourage the um, your average you know hunter uh, family pet uh, owner to look for if you're looking at a, a trial you know a, a trial bred litter um, and or naster you know bred you know because some of those dogs are, are pretty hard going too sure. um, you you want but above all else you know you want a puppy that's that's not skittish, that seems well socialized, um, likes people. Um, I like a puppy when I pick it up uh, and I'm handling it. I don't like them to be squirmy. You know, I like them to submit. Uh, I like them to, you know, like the personal attention. Mm. I think as I've gotten older, easy to train has gotten more important. Mm. And and a, a dog, a puppy that that uh, submits quickly, you know, when uh, in that situation, to me, lots of times is going to be easier to train. When, mm. But you put them down, and you know, they're full of all kinds of energy, and they, you know, they're off across the yard and nothing flat. Um, if if you're looking at a litter where where you know both mom and dad are um you know all day hunting dogs uh then maybe you are looking for the the more aggressive puppy in the litter if if uh um you know if you if you like a dog that that hunts aggressively um you know you kind of got to take the parents into consideration and ideally you know the best thing is to you know get to watch mom and dad hunt mm. And and you know that's where that's where you know the competitions sure. you know give you the chance to do that even though you know they're geared up for the competition that they get they they act different at the field trials mm-hmm. the same dogs act different at the field trials than they do when they're getting taken hunting but sure. but still you can get an idea of of uh, you know what they're made of yeah as okay. parents and 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 you're looking for a puppy that's similar yeah when it comes to uh, pointing and bird finding are those things that's uh, are those important for you do you like to see those early point when they're what 
couple months, or is that are you okay with that coming later? Um, I'm not okay with that coming later. I want to see that early. Um, I think I think in puppy development, um, I call it imprinting. Hmm. Um, I think it's similar to uh, let's let's just say with children, they they uh, teachers will emphasize reading to your kids. Hmm at a young age and you're basically imprinting them with the ability to learn and teaching them how to learn and and trying to uh, um, get them you know to to read books and and gain knowledge that way it's the same thing with puppies you know we want to get them imprinted at a young age that that you know this is what their their life is going to be is is searching for game hmm. searching for birds and i'm a firm believer that you know you know eight weeks i'm i'm showing showing them a pheasant wing uh 10 week, weeks i'm um you know showing them pigeons uh i've probably even showed them pigeons closer to eight weeks with the with the litter in the in the puppy pen hmm. i've flown pigeons by them hmm. let let them smell the pigeons again i'm imprinting them um, I'm I'm trying to get them to to realize that hey that's really cool and that's fun stuff mm. and and it's important to keep it fun um, and and uh, you know to get those instincts lit so to mm. speak and get the light bulb to turn on yeah. um, but I think I think that's where a lot of people in the training process really miss the boat is they don't take advantage of those young years mm-hmm. and and get them imprinted with with you know bird hunting is what my life is is going to be about sure. and uh, um, you know I use a lot of pigeons um, I like Johnny House quail with the the young puppies um, Johnny House or um, you know uh, callback birds um, uh, you know quail out of a callback pen is the equivalent of wild birds to an adult dog mm. and, and uh, um, I like uh, pigeons out of a release trap when it's when it's done correctly sure. but again the, the goal is to get them <laughs> imprinted at a young age uh, same thing with retrieving instincts you know Closing all the uh, doors in a long hallway and throwing the ball down yeah. to the other end and getting you know the puppy's only got one way to go and that's to bring it back to you. Yeah. Um, you know, with puppies, you really need to do something every day with them. Hmm. You know, whether it's take them for a walk. Um, I mean, you, you know, you you don't have to work birds with them every day, but but. But preferably, you know, if, if you're going to compete, uh, you've got to work work uh, birds with them a few times a week. Um, the average hunter, you know, if they if they can get them around birds once or twice, you know, every couple of weeks. Um, but you know, it's important to take them on walks, you know, and in in a field where they can just explore and and teach them to come with you. Um, and uh, and hunt hunt with you and sure. and you know whether it's ch- chasing Tweety birds or butterflies you know that's all good stuff it's got wings <laughs> and and you know we're 
we're uh, you know it's kind of like I equate it back to little league you know baseball for the, the you know the, the kids you know you got to make it fun sure. you know and and it doesn't have to be a long session you want to leave them want more sure. um, you know 10 15 minute walk um, is is you know on a daily basis is really good for the puppies yeah. can you talk since we're talking about birds a little bit like can you talk about you know, you know taking a young pup like what is your bird intro i guess progression with a with a young dog right you talked about you know a, a wing flying some pigeons over once once they're a little older like what do you start doing with a, a young pup to yeah i'm going to back up to the wing um keep in mind they're just pointing by sight and we don't want to overemphasize that mm. um you know it's good to see you know if you flip a wing out and they immediately point it that's pretty cool to see but you know they've they're pretty much past that pretty quick um because we want to teach them to point by smell not sight sure um when i raise a litter of puppies when they're seven weeks old and the whole litter's right there they're really bold when they're in a litter Mm. uh and and there's seven of them there there might be one or two that are a little standoffish you know but but i'll take a pigeon a homing pigeon and take you know put them on the put it on the downwind side and hold it and let them all smell it mm. um, and then I'll and while they're in the cage um, and then and then let the pigeon go and fly away from mm. them and let them watch it fly mm. and and you know it's always interesting to see what the group of puppies reaction is I've seen it all the way from they all just kind of step back to all of them are standing on two legs you know and watching intently and and you know and and they all go in different stages it's not that that group that where they they stood back a little bit um it's not that none of those turned out but but you know you need to you know go through the progression with them and and introduce them to you know i like pigeons for that that matter you could you could do the same thing with a quail let them smell it and then and then let it fly off main thing you don't want to have happen is is for them to see a bird for the first time and then have like you know something in the way of cover maybe slap them in the face Mm -hmm. or something like that or or you've got to be careful with the bird traps you know that it doesn't pop and scare them Mm -hmm. Um, you know they they need to you know know what a bird looks like uh you need to make sure that uh, the interest is there um after the litter is separated and i've just got one or two puppies you know i'll I'll take a a bird bag and uh, um you know and let them smell the bird and and throw it and let it fly off you know you got to be careful that they don't get slapped by a wing too the first few times sure and uh, uh, but I th- I think I think that introduction, you know, is 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 critical to to um, you know one of the the things that I'd probably do better as a trainer is I'm probably better with puppies than than I am with adult dogs hmm. um, uh, as far as what I get out of them at the particular age. I sure. as I said earlier, you know. I do want to see that pointing instinct young, 
Um, I don't want to have to wait until they're a year and a half old to sure. find out if they've got what it takes. <laughs> it's, you know, it's I want to, um, I want to see a, uh, a dog, and and some people are much more tolerant of that, but but I want to see a dog, you know, pointing its birds at at three, four, five months of age. Sure. And and you know, with the right introduction. Um, you can get them to the point where they'll let you flush at that age too, hmm. you know. And uh, um, and I want to see that. And and uh, um, and with the right right introduction, you can get that out of a puppy. And uh, and I think it's critical. Again, you know, going back to what English pointers have compared to the rest of the continental breeds, they have a lot of pointing instinct. They hmm. want to point. Um, and have a lot of nose and 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 uh, you know I want to see that out of the out of the the Britneys or or any other dog that I'm working with at yeah. a young age. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about the uh, the electronic bird launchers that you use? I've I've seen you use those quite a bit, and with young pups, you're very meticulous. I've I've gotten to witness is a pup takes one little step one they move one paw and you're you're sending that bird can you talk about that um process a little bit i uh i learned this early on and then and then i read a book uh training with mo that i'd highly recommend um morris and his last name escapes me martha greenley uh, co-authored the book and ran wrote it uh, based upon mo's training methods and when I read the book, I realized Mo and I were basically doing the same thing. Hmm. With the traps, your goal, first, first of all, you've got to be really careful. Like all electronic equipment, whether it be a collar or, or a trap, um, timing is everything in animal training. Whether it be horses, dogs, it's everything. And electronics give you the ability to make a movement at the split second that you need to mm-hmm. and and the goal with an electronic release trap is to imitate a wild bird mm-hmm. and and uh, um, and because of you know the electronics you can do that because you know back in the day with tiff um, I didn't have electronic release traps I didn't have a Johnny house I had wild birds, and there's no substitute for wild birds, you know. Um, and but that's what made her the dog that she was 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 the amount of time that I put into her. Um, now there isn't as many wild birds, um, so you've got to find a way to imitate them. Um, and the electronic release trap uh, gives me that when when the dog. Uh, is introduced properly to pigeons and smells a pigeon they'll they'll spin and turn and the first few times I'll let them take some steps and get closer and then pop the bird Mm. Um, you know once they become conditioned and know that smell and know that's a uh, a pigeon I'll I'll, uh, when they turn into the into the wind and they haven't pointed 
I'll I'll pop the bird just like I did when when or just like Tiff learned hmm. on the wild birds. If she got too close, the bird went. True. And you know, back in the day, we were able to train dogs on just wild birds, hmm. and the wild birds taught them to stand back and point them correctly. Sure. You know, now with the release traps, we use those to imitate a wild bird. Everybody, I think, the mistake people make with release traps is they want to see that dog point hmm. and the goal is after that dog is is well versed with that smell and that there's a bird if the dog is still moving you pop the bird out hmm. just like a wild bird would have flown away sure because the the puppy crowded it you know rather than pointing it correctly and uh, and and it comes down to you know that puppy is standing there, and and I always want to flush from the front with puppies, hmm. and I move slowly. And uh, I I read that one time. Gene Gene Casale said, "Don't get in such a hurry to to flush birds for your dog in hmm. training. You Take know, your time. Take your time and walk around. Come in from the front so the puppy can see you. Hmm. And if the if the puppy takes a step, you stop." And pop the bird so the puppy knows that he flushed it, not you. Sure. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, and uh, um, you want to come in from the front because I've had a lot of dogs, you know, early on that when you went alongside of them, they wanted to make sure they got their best shot at the bird and they didn't want you to get it. Oh. And if you make it more of a team effort that, hey, we're going to try to That's why you're coming around the front. We're going to try to pinch this bird in between us. And and I'll aim the trap so it shoots when the puppies, you know, when we've done this a lot. And uh, and the puppy really knows what they're doing with pigeons. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll put the trap on its side and 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 point that pigeon so it shoots or the point the trap so it shoots the pigeon right over the puppy's head mm. which they like okay and i'll i'll walk around front and if the puppy stays there um you know and lets me flush i'll shoot that bird right back o- up over their head okay um you follow me with yeah that? yeah with the totally and uh and i think uh uh, I mean the the th- the problem that people have with the traps though is is you need to make sure in the field you know exactly where you put that trap mm. and and you need to pick out a particular bush because if that puppy gets too close you need to send that bird out of there even if the puppy didn't even have a chance to smell it right you know even if it's more of a a wild flush situation that sure. puppy learns something sure you know i got too close to that bird the bird's i got gone. too close i didn't smell it because i was on the wrong side of the wind mm. but i made that bird fly because i was too close to it sure and, and the other doing... thing is from the standpoint of the puppy not getting tangled up with the cage with I was, the trap i was gonna say are you doing that for the because the damage of the of that that what could cause is both pretty both. bad both okay. um i mean that's the downside of of traps just like you know all electronic equipment if you let them get too close you pop that 
that trap open and it slaps the puppy, he'll probably be afraid of uh, uh, of traps for, and you probably won't be able to work them mm. successfully. Sure, you know they'll probably wind up blinking because they're afraid of getting hit by that trap. Gotcha. Is that and goes back to the imprint on them. It's going to yeah, imprint a you negative. Just put a negative imprint on them. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, and uh, um, you know this is it's pretty controversial. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of very very successful trainers that will not use an electronic trap, mm. but if I had to, <coughs> excuse me, if I had to uh, make my choice between giving up my quail out of a callback pen and my homing pigeons out of a, a release trap, I'd give up the quail. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Is that just because you have more? I can get more work faster with pigeons uh, year-round. Okay. You know, you can't work quail during nesting season very uh-huh. easily because okay. they start losing their scent. Uh, they want to pair up and and go nest and uh, um, pigeons you can use year-round they're pretty tough Um, I shoot a lot of pigeons for dogs Mm -hmm. both young dogs and old dogs Um, you know going through the breaking process Mm -hmm. if you've got them broke to kill they're pretty broke Mm -hmm. and uh, and they get to the point where they really like those pigeons and play in that game sure and uh, um, but uh, it's it uh, training with Mo um, was a very good book that uh, that I read recently. Okay. Um, and Martha has another one. I think it's uh, Amateurs Training with Professionals. Okay. Um, that was a really good book. Um, I I re- as I said before, I read Wing and Shot, um, Best Way to Train Your Bird Dog by Delmer Smith. Mm. Uh, was a very good book. Um, there's another one named Point. I can't think of the author right now. Okay. Um, but uh, um, you know, all really good books from the standpoint of training yeah. pointing birds. That's great. Okay, so we're we're going on. We're getting close to an hour and a half. <laughs> we're we're go we're going. This could this could go a long time. Yeah. Um, if you don't mind, just on puppy development, I have uh, uh, maybe. <laughs> Well, one more question for sure, maybe two, mm-hmm. uh, if you don't mind. Um, talk about your, your process, because I, I think it's unique. I think it's pretty interesting how um, a lot of times you'll take two pups out of a litter, and you'll let them get to a certain age, and you're really evaluating them which one you're going to keep going forward, right? Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that process a little bit, and, and what are some of the key marks that you're watching those two pups hit? Um, so when I... When I raise a litter or or I'm getting puppies out of a litter, I decide, and it, it's what I call a go-forward litter, um, I decide whether I want a male or a female out of that particular litter. Um, I keep a lot more females than male dogs, um, and that's, that's another topic, but... Um, just to increase my odds of getting what I want um, you know if I decide I'm gonna I want a male puppy out of the litter I'll, I'll try to get my hands on two of them mm. and uh, um, there's a lot of things in the training process that it's helpful to have two puppies because mm. they they play off of each other mm. as far as being bold you know like the first time I take them to the quail callback mm. pen you know 
if if both of them are there or sure. three of them for that matter yeah. um they're the confidence there's, goes there's boldness in numbers you know okay. whether they're by themselves there is a time to do things individually sure. too but but i really uh um, there's a lot of things, especially when you're introducing them to something new, that they they are a lot more bold uh, in numbers. Now, by the same token, I've seen puppies that, uh-oh, you know, my litter mate's scared. Maybe I should be too. Oh, okay. And, and you've got to be careful with that. Um, but, but generally, they're, they're a lot bolder when, when you know, there's, there's two of them. And it just increases your odds of, of getting the type of dog that you want out of that litter if you've got two to pick from rather than just one. Um, I also, you know, again, because of time, I believe it's, you know, some people would say, well, then keep all the females in the litter or <laughs> keep all the males in the litter. Well, then, then you wind up not getting the individual attention to the puppies. Mm. And, and I firmly believe at eight weeks, they need to be separated. Okay. Um, the problem is if you leave them in the same pen with each other, they wind up um, relating more to dogs than they do humans. Okay. So you try to get them separated so that, you know, they know that that, you know, their human is a really cool individual and I want to be with them and do stuff with them. Mm. And if I do have two puppies the same age, I'll generally, I won't put them in the kennels next to each other. Oh, well. I'll, I'll separate them so that, you know, maybe, maybe there's an older dog in between them. Because, again, you know, they are litter mates. Sure. And, and litter mates do need to be um, separated uh, uh, most of the time. Sure. Um, so I... I I use the term they they become too doggy. Um, if relating, I don't understand, too much I, I really to disagree with the people that there's a lot of people that think when they get a puppy that they need to get two so they can keep mm. each other company, and I I wholeheartedly disagree that, with that. All right, that's not your your yeah, intent. Yeah, yeah, I wholeheartedly disagree with that that philosophy. Um, it's it's more I keep two to you know expedite the training process and increase my odds of, of getting okay. the type of puppy I'm looking for. Okay. And, and you, you keep them through about six months older and or younger? It's not, it's not cut and dried. Um, I, I, you know, I've, I've kept puppies. Uh, Hank, Hank and Izzy were seven months old when I, uh, when I made my decision. Okay. Um, you know, on 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 which ones to keep, and and uh, I knew I wanted a male out of out of that litter, and uh, I'm talking about Roustabouts flat out, and uh, Snicks of Spanks Hank. Um, you know, uh, the Hank that I didn't keep wound up winning the nationals, and I kept my Hank, and he, you know, was a two-time champion and um, Grand Field champion field champion amateur field champion <laughs> um but i kept them yeah. you know and izzy until they were seven months old okay. uh before i you know made my decisions and um and i've kept them up to a year or two um 
and and then I've also uh, made my decision at four months. It, hmm. It's it's when I I see you know definitive um, traits that I'm looking for, and uh, and can make a decision. And and sometimes it comes down to you know I've got a really good home, hmm. and and for for whichever one I don't want and uh, and I might expedite the process a little bit right there just if the timing is critical to the you know but usually that's not the case usually I, I take my time with the yeah, um, the go forward letters gotcha well, awesome Jeff thank you so much I, I had a feeling this was gonna be a two-parter and we're gonna we're gonna break this up and and do a two-part because uh, we got a bunch more to get to and uh, just yeah well, thank you so much for uh, your time and we'll pick up here uh, again in a couple weeks glad to do it thank you all right everyone that's a wrap of episode 38 part one with Jeff Hoskins uh, part two is going to be dropping either later this week or early next week so make sure you are subscribed to the podcast and uh, be on the lookout for part two coming your way very soon Jeff thank you so much uh, I cannot wait for uh yeah, just a response to this episode and hear uh, what some of our listeners were able to gain uh, from hearing your story and uh, hearing some of your knowledge. So thank you again, sir. Hey, guys, uh, remember, it's not hunting season right now, which is kind of a bummer, but <laughs> don't worry. Uh, there's so much we can be working on with our bird dogs, uh, getting out there, uh, keeping conditioned. Uh, you know, what are your goals? Think through what are your goals for this season coming up? Uh, you know, what are you going to be working on with your dog? Uh, if you're into trials and that, it's it's kind of spring trial season right now. So maybe you're you're working through those, and uh, or maybe you got some goals for next year coming up. So you know, set those goals. What are you working towards? What do you you know want your dog to be? What do you want your experience to be? So just a reminder, a PSA, public service announcement. Set your goals, make a plan, carve out the time to make that goal a reality and make it happen. Okay, that's my two cents. I'm leaving you with that. Hey, remember, any bird dog is better than no bird dog. Go put some miles on those boots and have fun.